Hello there, my name is Alyssa Olenek. I am obsessed with all things exercise, science, outdoors, and growing an honest online business. I've spent the last 10 years studying exercise physiology, nutrition, and metabolism, and I'm here to help you move past the extremes in the fitness and wellness industries to have the real conversations we're not often willing to have with a sprinkle of sass and a whole lot of truth. I'm here to help you confidently live with me in the messy middle. Hello there, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Messy Middle Podcast. I am very excited about today's guest, Dr. Natasha Barnes. Um, she's someone I found on Instagram. I think I found you through Taylor, who I feel like me and Taylor connect everyone to everyone. But I loved what she was doing because she is someone who I joke, we joke, like she is the me of climbing. So for those of you who are runners who consume my content because I'm telling you how to lift and why it's so important or women and all that stuff, this is exactly what Natasha is doing with climbers, which I think is really cool because a lot of Little Method clients are climbers and a lot of my followers are actually climbers. And they're always asking about how to integrate strength with that. And well, that's exactly what Natasha or Dr. Barnes is doing. And so her content is very good. And not only, you know, she's qualified health professional, but she has a really uh, creative insight in the way these things can be approached. You know, I got really excited when I found her and I was like, I have to have her on the Messy Middle podcast because I think this is going to be a really important conversation. If you don't climb, I still think there's a lot of stuff that you can gain from this conversation we're about to have today. I mean, she's a strength coach, was a professional climber, powerlifter, health professional, rehab professional. So if you're a woman, you've ever been injured, you're interested in integrating multiple forms of fitness together, I think this would be a really important conversation for you to listen to. So even if you're not a climber, I think you should still continue to tune in because she's going to have some amazing things to say today. So thank you so much for being on the Messy Middle podcast. Hi, Alyssa. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm super excited to be on the podcast and um, yeah, super excited. Um, I think we do know each other through Taylor and Claire. Yes. I listened to your podcast with Claire yesterday, which was awesome, by the way. I feel like if you put uh, Taylor, you, me, and Claire in a room, that would be so much intimidation. Like the four <laughs> most intimidating females in our little circle. Oh, that would be amazing. That would be like, the that would be awesome. That needs to act. We need to make that happen. That sounds like a fun, a fun time, actually. <laughs> all four of us in a room. Okay, we need to make that happen, and I'll bring the podcast back when we do. So to get started, I really love, like, I love reading the forms of our guests because I always learn something new that I thought I knew, but on Instagram, it goes to show you don't know everything about everyone, right? So we always like to start off our guests by asking about their messy middle journey. And something I think was really cool is how you went from a professional climber to a healthcare professional, and now you're integrating these two together in the industry in a super rad way. So I would love to hear more about your background and how, like, what you did in the past and how you've kind of got to what you're doing today. Yeah, totally. Um, so my journey basically started as a professional climber. And like, funny enough, I didn't really grow up very athletic. I mean, I rode my bike and stuff like that. But I wasn't really into like very many sports because I actually didn't feel very athletic. I mean, I liked sports, but I never felt like I was good at anything. And my dad introduced me to rock climbing when I was super young. And I just took right to it. And it was like, wow, this is this is the sport. Like, finally, I found something that I'm into and um, got into competing as a young climber very early. Um, I started when I was like 11 years old climbing, did a competition and actually won that competition um, <laughs> and was like, oh, wow, I'm good at this. Uh, took a little bit of a break and then got back into it in high school with a friend that I met in high school who also climbs, who I still know today. Um and ended up like doing a bunch of youth climbing competitions and then you know one thing led to another and 
I started doing it like professionally, competing professionally, got sponsored, um, was like the only thing that I did. I like went and went to competitions, trained for climbing, went climbing outdoors and was doing that like full time for a really long time. And then sort of got sidelined by a pretty devastating climbing injury that sounds pretty minor to like normal people, which it was a finger injury. Mm -hmm. But it kind of derailed my whole climbing career because you need your fingers for climbing. And it was a pretty catastrophic injury. It was like an annular pulley ligament injury. Um, And at the time, I didn't really know what to do about it. I didn't know. Nobody had good advice except for like rest and don't climb. And so that's what I did. I I just didn't climb until um, I was like, I'm just not going to climb until it doesn't hurt anymore. I ended up kind of taking up like hot yoga and like cycling but it wasn't, it just wasn't the same passion, but something to like pass the time and was pretty frustrated with this injury. Um, I rested for like four months. I didn't do any climbing whatsoever. And then after that, I was like, you know what, maybe I'll try climbing again, see how it feels. And I climbed again and it still hurt. So I just decided to take another couple of months off. And then at that point I started losing sponsors um, and I was pretty depressed um, because I couldn't do the thing that I, you know, have devoted my life to being able to do. And so at that point I was like, you know, what? I'm just going to climb on it. Cause like, what's the worst that could happen? Like, you know, maybe it gets worse and I can get surgery or something for it. <laughs> so it was kind of a last ditch effort. Um, we went on a climbing trip to this pretty cool climbing area up in Northern California. That's pretty magical, actually. It's like this climbing area that's on a beach with huge rocks in the on Northern California coast. Nothing really has any names or grades or anything like that. So there was just like no expectations going into that and I ended up climbing on it. And it kind of felt like not so good. It felt uncomfortable. And in my back of my mind, I was like, I don't know, maybe I'm making this worse. Um, But I remember climbing on it. And then all of a sudden it started healing and it started getting better. And this light bulb went off in my head like, oh, you have to like use it to make it get better. And that was like a really big turning point Mm -hmm. for me in terms of like how to approach injury um and kind of stemming from that um and stemming from like the frustration of like not having any good information for climbing injuries that's what kind of inspired me to start going to school for this um and so that's when I went to when when I started going to chiropractic school and I picked chiropractic school because I knew I would be able to do physical therapy um I also had like a vague interest in chiropractic work because my dad went to like a sports chiropractor who mm-hmm. helped him and my dad was really athletic as well so it was like a sports chiropractor and I thought that was pretty cool mm-hmm. um went to school for that and yeah when I graduated I basically started working pretty much only with climbers now graduated in 2012 so I've been doing it for a while now but yeah. um I work with yeah 99% all rock climbers now and help them with their injuries and a lot of that just stemmed from my own frustrations with um different climbing injuries the finger injury just being one of those injuries um and through that I also discovered powerlifting um because I was a little bit plateaued with my climbing as well Um, and I knew for me personally, if anybody like knows climbing, like I knew I had strong fingers just kind of naturally. Um, I was lucky enough to have some pretty good climbing coaches growing up. So I had good climbing movement and technique. The thing that I really felt I was lacking, especially as a short climber too, was just actual strength. 
And so mm-hmm. I wanted to work on that. And bar- I started with CrossFit, like a lot of people do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the I gateway had, I drug some- to all strength training, right? It really is. And like, I'm kind of thankful that CrossFit is like there for people to try. And then I realized pretty quickly from CrossFit that I kind of really liked the barbell stuff only. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I switched over to a strength training gym where I met my current coach. Um, and I'm still working with him now and, um, got super into powerlifting as a way to get stronger for climbing. But then I kind of just got into powerlifting and I got super sidetracked and actually took a few (laughs) years off of climbing. Like I took probably like four years off of climbing to just focus on powerlifting, Mm -hmm. um, and ended up competing at nationals and doing really well there. And so now I'm kind of like a hybrid athlete. I, I still train for powerlifting four days a week and I'm also climbing. So it's kind of like where I'm there's at. a lot of really good things there. And I do have like specific questions I want to ask you, but something I love that you brought up already, which I think, you know, that I totally agree with and think is super awesome. That is important for people who like quoting. I mean, I feel like everyone like really gets overly into the term hybrid athlete since I've kind of like jokingly used it and now people take it too literally, but like really just mixing together two modalities of training, but like sometimes they can parallel one each other, but or compliment, like where you can use strength training to improve climbing. And I'd love to talk about that in a second. But sometimes like you do have to focus on one thing for a while to get better at it and let something else fall back. I think people think that you're optimizing them both all the time. And I would assume now you have better strength maintenance now that you're back climbing again um, than if you had never taken that time itself. Similar to like, I really went really into the trail ultra running thing my first few years of it. And now I'm kind of swinging back towards being more into lifting, but I know that long-term I want to race again, but it's not the season for it. So I'm kind of taking this time now to put coins in that strength bank, so to speak. Um, and so I love that you talked about that because I don't think enough people who want to get better at one thing have the patience to do that. And maybe not four years, you know what I mean? But taking the time to step back from one thing, and that doesn't mean you have to stop doing it all together. Um, but taking the time to focus on one thing specifically. So can you talk about that period of time more? I mean, what was your mindset with like taking that step back from climbing and how much did you gain from actually spending four years just like getting strong? And obviously you're a phenomenal athlete because you were an elite climber and you went to nationals for powerlifting. So like, obviously you do have more athleticism there than you probably thought you did as a kid, which I think I'm probably in the same boat. Um, but can you talk about that a little bit? Cause I think that's really cool and something that enough people don't think of like when they think of like the long term of their fitness and their goals and their performance, but rather like, oh my gosh, if I take off three weeks, then I'm going to lose everything. Well, you talk about four years and probably like still remember how to climb something, right? <laughs> Totally. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's something that I spend a lot of time trying to talk to a lot of my athletes about because you do need to, um, you know, I don't want to call it a sacrifice, but you do need to like make some time to, to focus on one thing or the other. And, um, you know, for me personally, climbing, climbing is a pretty big skill sport. Obviously there's a lot of strength involved in it, but I had spent years and years and years developing those skills. And so at the time when I started incorporating more strength training, I realized that I need to spend more of my time doing it in order to get stronger. And I wasn't nervous about taking time off of climbing, partially because I felt a little bit burnt out with climbing just mentally for me, but mm-hmm. also because I know those skills aren't going to go anywhere. And like mm-hmm. they're good. Climbing's not going anywhere. I've been doing it my whole life, basically. I can always come back to it whenever. Yeah. And it's been like a huge, um, I've learned so much through strength training that I just would not have learned through training for climbing that I don't regret Mm -hmm. doing that. 
And it does take time, like climbing or strength, strength building is something that you have to spend time building. It's something that takes a long time to build that foundation, Mm -hmm. but it's always going to be there for you when you come back to it. So a lot of what I tell my athletes to do is like, obviously you don't have to take four years off and get sidetracked and become a competitive power lifter. But uh, like, I think it's important to have off seasons. um, And that doesn't mean that you don't climb. And in fact, like climbing is a skill sport. So you do want to make sure that you're continuing to climb so that you practice that skill. It doesn't have to be as frequently or as intensely if you're focusing on a period of like strength building. But like having seasons is something that a lot of climbers don't think about because they're not necessarily like a competitive athlete where there's seasons where there's climbing competitions. And especially if you're a climber in California, you can climb all year round. So like, there's literally not, oh, it's winter. Like, what am I going to do now? I can't climb outside. It's like, oh, it's winter. We're going to go here. Oh, it's fall. We're going to go here. Oh, it's spring. We're going to go here. Like you can climb year round. So you have to really intentionally like plan your year around it. Mm -hmm. And I think for a lot of people, it's hard because they're like, well, I'm giving away part of my season and like, you know, I really want to climb, but I think it's the benefit, the payoff, like later, the benefits from working on your strength base are so high that like, it is worth it. Like, it's just going to keep you in the sport for longer. Um, and not only for like sports performance reasons either. I'm like, you guys, yeah, you're going to get stronger for climbing and that's rad, but also you're going to be a stronger human. You're going to be able yeah. to like, stay in the sport for longer. You're going to be healthier when you get older. Like, this is something that like everybody should be doing no matter what their sport is. So yeah, I think it's important to like spend part of the year um, focusing on that. And like, it's hard for some people to do that, I think. <laughs> no, I see. I mean, again, I obviously work more with runners or just women in general who are afraid to spend a period of time investing in like just like eating and lifting. Um, but mm-hmm. I mean, for a lot of runners, yes, like I guess you kind of indirectly have winters, but some people run through the winter or, you know, you can take time off. But like, I started that seasonal approach with ultra running, especially because I did want to maintain a good base of strength as I did it the last few years. And like, that's what I did is I would take those three to five months of that time where I wasn't in high, heavy running volume. It doesn't mean I was running zero, maybe the month after an ultra, because my God, like, like, you know, but like, you're not doing zero, but you are ramping something down to wrap something up. And I love that, like with even the, the, acknowledging it's a skill because like even when I was doing all my Olympic weightlifting and prep for my 100k like yes my volume went down but it's a skill sport right so I was still practicing those skills and maintain them quite well because that's like you know just because you're not under load doesn't mean you're not retaining or even improving in things and I think these are mindset approaches a lot of people have a hard time grasping because they don't necessarily because they're not elite athletes they don't treat themselves or view themselves as that in their own training and thinking about the payoff and the investment with that. And so, yeah, I love that. And I think that, like I said at the beginning, like whether you're, I think a lot of these messages that are for climbers also apply to endurance. And honestly, I don't want to just pin women out, but sometimes we have those same mindset ruts and the same kind of exercise prescription given to us um, that like endurance or body weight focused, maybe sports tend to get. Mm -hmm. But I think taking that period of time or season to just really invest in strength. And like you said, Strength pays off once you have it. It takes a long time to develop, but once you have it, it's one, easier to maintain, two, you're stronger and more resilient overall, and three, it pays off so much more. And it can be hard to take that step back, and I get it. Like, I mean, 
I think for before my 50 miler, I took like eight or 10 weeks off lifting mostly because I just couldn't keep up with it with some personal things going on in my life. And I was like, oh my gosh, but like, it was fine. You know what I mean? Like I was still strong and my strength came back quickly because I had spent, you know, eight weeks doesn't derail what, five, 10 years. And I know a lot of people can, when you are so into your sport and you have a year long approach to it, it can feel really daunting, but like recognizing that like that time you've been investing in it for maybe not four years, but like even a couple blocks every year that you ramp something down can pay off drastically when you are ramping up that higher volume and whatever it is, climbing or whatever else. And so I just wanted to add that context. If you are a listener who maybe isn't a climber and you're having a hard time visualizing, well, Alyssa, how does this apply to me? Well, if you're, you're, you do CrossFit recreationally or you're an endurance athlete or any of these things, like this stuff also applies to you. Seasons. That's all I talk about all the time is seasons. And I'm so, I love that you said that. And I love that you see that in other areas too, because it, it fits my bias, but I think it's really important for our listeners to hear because I think that's so important. Um, so we'll pivot back to what we were going to talk about originally before I got excited about you bringing <laughs> up that because I love that. Um, so let's talk about why strength for climbers and like why that is so important and how it benefits your training. Because I know that like for a lot of people, you're like, okay, yeah, like being strong is cool and good, but like, it's a waste of my time or I could spend my time doing more skill work or I could spend more time on the wall or whatever it is that they need to be doing. But can you, you know, talk about the high, the high, the how and why of this for climbers and like why it's so important. Yeah. Um, yeah, there is a lot of pushback on it because it's like, well, it's a skill sport. Like I need to spend time doing this, doing the sport and I can get strong through the sport, which is true. You can get strong through climbing, mm -hmm. but it's going to take a lot more climbing and a lot more time to do that. Um, and I still think that, you know, there, there should be a balance. Like, obviously it's a skill sport. Like you want to make sure that like a lot of your training is focused around actually practicing the sport. But strength training is very important. And the beauty of it is if you're not doing like a body weight training workout or you're not like doing body part splits, like I got to do this rotator cuff exercise, this arm exercise, this tricep exercise, this, 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 this. instead of doing like 14 different exercises, um, this is why I love like barbell work and dumbbell work and kettlebell work. We can distill it down to like these movement patterns that are going to be really good bang for your buck. You're not going to have to spend a bunch of time doing like 15 different exercises. Like we can have you do like three things in one session and you can get it done in an hour or less. And it's going to help you a ton. Um, and, you know, climbing is still there is a lot of strength component to it. So you need to have that upper body strength for climbing. Um, you also need to have that lower body strength for climbing as well. And a lot of people neglect that because they're like, oh, it's climbing. It's an upper body sport. But that couldn't be further from the truth. And if you don't feel like you're using your legs when you're climbing, then you don't know. Then you need to work on your technique probably because <clears throat> I use my legs pretty powerfully <laughs> when I'm climbing. And now that I have the leg strength to back it up, like I feel like I use my legs almost more than I use my upper body these days. Um, and like, you do need that strength for if, if people are climbers and they're listening, like if you are doing drop knees, if you're doing rock overs, if you're dynoing, you need that leg strength. And then not to mention if you're falling, which is part of rock climbing, unless you're sport climbing or trad climbing, if you're falling, you need that leg strength to control your fall and to land. And if you don't have that, then, you know, that's a little bit risky. 
Um, so developing leg strength for that is important. And also if you're climbing outside, like you're hiking to climbing probably. Mm-hmm. So like, don't you want to have like the strength to hike? To and you're carrying your gear too. I mean, I'm a hiker and a trail runner and like I've indoor climbed a few times, but when I'm out on my little trips, I see the climbers and they're carrying like more than backpackers do on their back. Right. Like right. not always, but a lot of the time, right. Like you have the, the drop pads and the whatever gear you have and the ropes. And I'm like, that's a lot of weight to just carry on a, on a, cause people will do like big hikes to get to somewhere to climb. Right. Like I'm not, yeah, I only know a little, Regis used to climb all the time. So I know like little bits <laughs> and pieces. I'm not going to claim like I know anything about the climbing world, but I see it. And I'm like, that's a lot of weight to be carrying. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's true. And like, depending on what kind of climbing you do, like you, there's more, gear, more or less gear required. And like for mm-hmm. a lot of things you are hiking. So I mean, wouldn't it be nice to have the strength to do that without getting totally pooped by the time you get to the climbing? Um, so yeah. I think it's really important. No, I mean, for the few times that I have been climbing, I would say that like, you know, being strong is the reason I could go into just a casual gym and even just do some of the stuff that we did when we, you know, we try to climb a little mm-hmm. bit. I mean, it, I think in all areas of life, like if having a strong base or strength base or an athletic base allows you to transfer into a lot of things. And I would assume we might have a few listeners that are better climbers, but I would assume most of the people listening to this, you're just like recreationally interested hobby people, whether it is in climbing or whatever else it is. And like that strength base can get, allow you to have so much more capacity in whatever it is that you're pursuing to do. But, you know, especially if you, even if you're just gym climbing or going outdoors or having fun, I know that even like when I have to scramble up stuff, like obviously like that's not yeah. like it's like, you know, lower grade stuff, but like, I am like, Oh, I'm glad I'm strong. You know what I mean? Like when I'm pulling myself up a big rock face on like a, on a trail climb or a trail run, because trail running is also just sometimes scrambling. I'm like, Oh, I'm really glad I'm strong. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, Oh, I'm really glad that I'm strong for this. And so like, yeah, no, I think it pays off so much more than people, people see or believe. And I know that like climbing just like Everything else, endurance or body weight based, gets such a bad rap because heaven forbid you have muscle. And so something you said that I loved and I would love to pivot into this is that um, you said you won't gain weight, but maybe you should. And I love, I love, I almost want to like put that on an Instagram so I post and tag you and Kaplan <laughs> like and give you credit. But like, because that's so good. And I can think of 110 populations of people who probably need to hear that phrase. So can you talk about that? The Messy Metal Podcast will be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Are you confused about what supplements you should actually be taking? In a world full of juice cleanses, detox teas, fancy promises, it can really be hard to trust anything. But high quality supplements, when dosed appropriately, can actually help support your fitness goals. And that's why I use Legion. I've been using Legion supplements since the beginning of this year, and after years of never really fully committing to one single brand due to lack of transparency in their labeling, unnecessary fluff, or just reporting things as blends and not knowing what's actually my product, I finally found a solid science-based product line that fits my supplementing needs. 
Legion's products are 100% naturally sweetened, and my favorite part, they are fully transparent in their labeling, and they use dosages that are actually backed by what the science says you need to be effective and support your fitness goals. And not the least amount you can get away with, and not just labeling as blends, but fully transparently telling you what's in your product and why they dosed it that way. And this is huge because it lets you know exactly what you're taking and if it's actually going to be effective, and then you can know what's going into your body. My personal favorites are their cinnamon cereal whey. Yes, it tastes as good as it sounds. The mocha cappuccino plant protein. Pulse, their pre-workout, which comes in non-stimulant or caffeinated stimulant based. And Recharge, the recovery blend, which also gives me the creatine I need to move weights well in the gym. Legion offers 100% money back guaranteed if you're not happy with their products. And you can save 20% off your first order today with our code MESSYMIDDLE at checkout. That's M-E-S-S-Y. M-I-D-D-L-E at checkout to save 20% today. Yeah, that's probably the number one pushback that I get from climbers about strength training is that they're afraid they're going to gain unnecessary muscle, which isn't true. Like number one, there are ways to train where you can get strong without gaining any muscle or gaining any weight if you want to do that. And I think what a lot of people don't realize if they're new to strength training is like those newbie gains that you get from strength training are all neurological. Like you're not getting stronger because your muscles are getting huge. You're getting stronger because you're getting more efficient at recruiting more muscle fibers at once. And that that has nothing to do with gaining mass. Um, And so you can get a lot stronger without gaining any weight whatsoever if that's really your concern. Um, And for climbers, a lot of people talk about how climbing is like a strength to weight ratio sport, like the lighter you are, the stronger you're going to feel, and you're just going to perform better. Um, But I have a lot to say about that. Number one, like, you know, there's more than one thing we can manipulate there for looking at that equation of strength to weight. You know, Mm -hmm. you can can get lighter, 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 and increase your performance, but that's not sustainable. It's not healthy either. Or you can just get stronger. And the stronger you are, the the more you're going to be able to do, the lighter you're going to feel. And I feel like for a lot of people, it's hard for them to imagine that if they are stronger and if they do have more muscle mass, they're going to feel lighter. Um, And it's it's almost hard for people to believe until they experience it themselves. Um, But a lot of my clients are like, wow, I'm like five, 10 pounds heavier and I actually feel way stronger than I did before. And it's like the kind of thing that you kind of don't believe until you experience it yourself. Um, so, you know, like, yeah, it's a strength to weight ratio sport, but you could also just get stronger and that's going to be a lot more sustainable and a lot healthier. I think that it's people view it as like the smaller, the better that you'll be, but with all things, there's a give or a take. Right. And so like, you probably see this a lot in like CrossFit's probably a sport that you see this a lot in too, because of the gymnastics and body weight. I'll see a lot of people being like, well, I just need to get lighter. Well, maybe you don't need to be lighter. Maybe you need to just get stronger or like. I think I, I kind of have this conversation with a lot of people who are interested in running too, where I'm like, well, yes, if you're lighter, technically you have less mass that's metabolically demanding and you need to move. But also there's going to be a point of which being smaller isn't actually benefiting performance. Like there's, there is going mm-hmm. to be a sweet spot. Like, of course, we're not saying that Mr. Olympia should, is going, that's how you should look to be an elite rock climber, right? Like no right. one's saying that, but people right. t- t- tend to jump to that conclusion of like, okay, well, I need to look like that elite powerlifter bodybuilder dude. No, 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 no. Like, in, yeah, I think that's a great point is that there's ways to manipulate training that like you're getting neuromuscularly stronger or you are putting in a little bit of muscle, but there's probably that, like, it's probably a parabola, right? There's probably a sweet spot of which, yeah, of mm-hmm. course, if you gain more, more muscle than that, it might be sacrificing your performance because it might not be quote unquote functional for what you need it to be. Um, mm-hmm. 
or more unless you want to have that muscle. But I think a lot of times we see this all the time is that people think smaller is better for everything. And at some point it isn't because your performance is going to go down because of what you're going to have to do to get smaller. Like, like, I mean, you see this all the time in athletes, right? They shrink, 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 and then their performance just drops. And you're like, okay, well, that doesn't, that's not the main predictor of success. Or we would have a lot of really lanky people running around being amazing athletes at everything we do, right? There's definitely that sweet spot between muscle and probably in everything, right? You could say the same for weightlifting sports too, right? Like there's probably a sweet spot between, you know, what you have versus what you can do. And so I think that's important. And I love that you said like, maybe you should, because some people truly believe that five or 10 pounds will make them heavier. But if you're stronger for it, or it makes you just overall more athletic, you might be more actually capable, right? Yes. And that's, I've loved, I've literally not had a client who gained five or 10 pounds of muscle mass and did not feel stronger and better on the climbing wall. And I had one client who said, oh, I've gained five or 10 pounds and I feel so heavy and sluggish on the climbing wall. Nobody has said that. They've all said, I feel more resilient. I feel stronger. My performance is better. I can't believe I never did this before. Yeah. And it's not to say that like gaining fat is always bad or never functional. I don't want people to say that, but I think I don't want people to think that when I say this, but like people forget that muscle is like a functional tissue. Like it allows you to have like produce power output and force. It's not like you're just gaining like five pounds of like non like just adipose or skin or like whatever it is. Like you're gaining a tissue that allows, it's like mechanical, right? Like you're not, you're not just randomly heavier, like you're stronger and heavier, you're developing tissue that's supposed to allow you to function and be perform at a higher level. So I think it's working for you. It's not dead weight. It's that's exactly what I'm, yeah, I'm trying to say that in a very way that's not going to make people freak out and say, if I gain five pounds of fat, I'll I'll be a horrible climber either. But like, you get what I'm saying. Like, yeah, it's not dead weight. It's literally purposefully and intentionally built to like allow you to do more things. And again, I don't want to harp on this runners and ladies, but you see this all the time too, that we worry about the scales going up. Right. Um, but sometimes that 10 pounds of mass, if it's muscle actually is what you want rather than thinking, okay, well the scale's 10 pounds up. Like that doesn't mean Mm -hmm. anything like that. There's not like a, a select, like there's not a chart out there that says like, you'll be an elite climber if you weigh this much. Like that doesn't, yeah doesn't say that and doesn't say that for all these things, but I think so many people get that in their head with so much stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. And even like you're a power lifter. And now that I, you know, I kind of power lifted for a while and I'm back with Olympic weightlifting. Now you see a lot of people who like want to cut for their first meet for, for what? Yeah. Like, are you going to be that much better? Are you competitive? Like just it, that extra weight class. Like I, I, I went up a weight class because I was like one kilo over my weight. And I was like, I'm not cutting a kilo. Like, I'm just not cutting a kilo for this. Like, it doesn't matter that much. You know what I mean? Like, and I think people really get in their heads with like body weight and performance. I'm like, I know what I weigh and I know what I lifted. I'm like, it really doesn't matter. Like it's okay. And so I think a lot of people, they, they, they tie athleticism to weight status so much, even more than just the body image stuff we have already. But I mean, sometimes you just got to gain some muscle. Right. Yeah. And and that's the, that's the other thing too, is like people don't realize that like, that's not the only thing to work on. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, losing, being lighter for climbing might not be what you need to do. Like Mm -hmm. you might actually need to improve your footwork. You might actually need to improve your tactics on how you're approaching a climb. You might, there's a lot of other things that go into climbing that a lot of people are like, I just need to be lighter 
And there are a lot of people who are trying to be lighter that have no business trying to be lighter. I was going to say a beginner climber or they're, they're not elite level where like, that's not the thing that you need to be. That's not even the conversation. I was going to say, do you see that a lot with people as like, I feel like I see that with everything fitness, like people, they're like, well, if I lose weight, it will be, I'm like, well, losing weight doesn't make you stronger or fitter. Like, doesn't necessarily like your people, I will jump right to that. And so do you see that? I don't want to say like a cop out, but like that quick, easy solution of like, when you really just, I, I kind of say this a lot to people too, where I'm like, you don't need to worry about that. You just lack fitness for so many things, not just like trying to lose weight, but so much stuff in the beginning, even my hybrid book, I just released because so many people want to combine these things. And I was like, honestly, at this point in time, you're overthinking everything. You're just not fit enough to worry about this yet. Right. Like, and that's a really yeah. mean thing to say. And I know that can hurt a lot of people's <laughs> feelings, but like, it's good. That means that like, cause fitness is a skill, right? I think people forget that. Like, it's not like you're going to lean out to being an elite climber. Right. Um, right. So do you see that a lot with like, it, is that like the first thing people jump to with climbing? <laughs> like it can be. And I think it just comes from like, it's not their fault, you know? And that's, yeah. that's something that's, I used to think that too. And I think it's because people know, like, I mean, people know how to reliably lose weight. They know that if they stop eating as much or if they change their diet, they're going to lose weight. And they see that immediate, like mm-hmm. short term improvement in their sport. Like with climbers, they lose a couple pounds. Like you're going to feel that. Yes. I'm not saying that that's not a strategy that you could use, but it's also not a long term strategy. And so I think people like that, that solution because they see the result right away. It's easy to understand. You just eat less. You're going to lose weight. Whereas mm-hmm. developing strength, like knowing what to do program wise, knowing that you can reliably get stronger, knowing how to put on muscle mass and not just like gain a bunch of like, you know, gain a bunch of weight by eating a bunch of food, like understanding how it actually works and understanding how to reliably get stronger is something that takes a little bit more education and, and learning. And it doesn't come intuitively to people. They're not like, oh, well, I can just do this and I'll get stronger. So I think losing weight or worrying about something like that just comes easier to people. And so that's why you yeah. use that. No, I see it all the time too. Like not to parallel the whole episode to running, but I see a lot of people are like, well, if I lose weight, I'd be faster. I'm like, but, but would you? Like, is your programming good enough that that makes a difference? Or are you at that point right. where maybe that's the conversation worth having? And you're like, and yeah, you know, I've gained like seven pounds since my ultra. So I do feel a little heavier on my run, but I also know that if I could consistently get my mileage back up, it would also probably improve. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. to some degree, mm-hmm. I'm like, is it really because I'm bulkier quote unquote and heavier? Or is it because my programming and training is not as consistent as it was when I was training for hundred K? Right. Like, probably the later, you know what I mean? And if I wanted to train for another race and I'm like, okay, my paces are slower than I'd like, then I'd be like, all right, like we'll maybe like cut back a little bit or then address that then. But right now I'm like, my issue is my programming. And I, and I'm even mm-hmm. someone who's like more fit. I'm not the best runner in the world, but I'm like, no, my issue is my programming right now. Like it's yeah. my own. And I can say that. And I think a lot of people like it's, it sucks to know that you just lack skill or fitness, but that's actually good news. Like just being like, Oh, I suck. So something's going to work. Something's going to make me better. Almost anything's going to make me better. So that's actually shouldn't be a daunting thing to jump to the quick fixes. It's like, Oh no, this is good news because just about anything's going to work right now. It's when it stops working, then you have to look at these things that actually are a little bit more technical and you're like, oh, shit. Okay, maybe I need to, you know, do this or that. So, yeah. And I have this conversation like all the time with clients and I've talked to people about this on social media and I've done polls on my social media. Mm -hmm. People don't even have like they're kind of like their ducks in order in terms of like the things that really matter that Mm -hmm. can change your performance. And like some you guys talked about this in your podcast with Claire, but like 
literally like, are you getting seven hours of quality sleep? Most people are saying no to that. Yeah. Are you like, are you managing your stress? Are you eating enough calories? Are you getting enough protein to like, uh, to support your training that you're currently doing? And a lot of people are like, no, I could do better at that. Is your programming like high quality? Like, no, I don't even know what to do for programming. Well, why are we worrying about all this other high level stuff when you don't have like your basics in there, yeah. you know? No, and it sucks because everyone wants that. Yeah, if you guys didn't listen yet, um, last season we did a menstrual cycle and pill contraceptive type podcast, me and Claire's eye. And a lot of people really want to jump automatically to training perfectly around their cycle, but they have absolutely nothing else in their diet or lifestyle controlled for. So it's like, well, how do we even know if your cycle is a variable if you are not controlling any of these other things? Like we can't, we need some control somewhere. And so I think the same thing applies just with all things. And I know people hate that because they're like, well, they don't want to sleep more and they don't want to track their protein and they don't want to do the simple basics. So I'm like, if you don't want to do that, that's fine. But like, then none of these other things are actually going to work. Well, they might, but the point of return is like, marginal at best like it's not going to be the the large dividends that you're hoping it to be yeah so go back and listen to that episode because it's actually really good and we worked really hard on it so after this go back and listen to that one because it's really good okay it's a good so one. so what would you say then for people who are climbers and they are interested in adding in strength if they don't really know what to do and they're like okay, I know this is good for me. I know I'm supposed to be doing this, but I actually like have no idea how, which I think is a lot of people. I think a lot of people are hesitant to do strength if they come from other sports or things because like you just, no one teaches you how to lift really. Like no one has any idea. Like people know how to do cardio, right? Cardio is easy. You just move your body with your heart elevated, hate yourself for a little bit and call it a day. But (laughs) lifting is like, this, this foreign world. And so climbers, like they do have a good bit of strength. Like they can probably do more pull-ups than me, I would assume. Um, but to some degree, it's not formal traditional strength training. So for those that are, you know, interested in climbing or they recreationally climb or whoever you are, they are, and they are looking into that, like, what would you say like a basic structured week of training might look like, or like how to incorporate, uh, lifting within that? Cause I know that like, for, for what I, with, from the world I comment, people are worried about, well, will it hurt like those climbing workouts that they care about more? Will they be fatigued? How, like, why should I do this? How to manage that? Blah, blah, blah. So what would you say like a very basic week of training um, for like the average recreational weekend warrior might look like so that they can incorporate strength to help them improve all the climbing goals that they also have? Yeah. Um, you know, the beauty of it is that most climbers haven't trained consistently for years on end. So the minimum effective dose for getting those people stronger is going to be pretty low. Yeah. So you, it's good news. You don't have to do that much and you're going to improve a ton. Um, so generally how I structure it for people, and there's so many different ways you could cut this, but just to keep it really basic, um, for most of my climbers, I recommend that they strength train probably twice a week, week at least. Um, and we can taper that down to one time a week if they're during like a performance season just to kind of maintain a little bit and keep some of mm-hmm. that strength work in. But I think twice a week is a good place for people to start on top of their normal climbing sessions. Um, and then if people are worried about uh, it interfering with like their climbing session performance, that's fine. We can do it after the climbing session. And the beauty of it is most of if, if I'm recommending programming for somebody like I'm going to have them auto regulate their training session. So mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if you're going into the session fatigued, you're still going to be able to like hit appropriate intensities based on mm-hmm. how you're performing in that session. So you can do it after your climbing session. It's fine. Um, and then just incorporating some basic movement patterns. So some kind of squat, whatever you like, it can be a goblet squat, it could be a barbell squat, it could be a leg press if you really want. But 
um, I like some kind of barbell squat or goblet squat, um, and then some kind of upper body movement for climbers. It is an overhead sport, so I really like overhead pressing and those kinds mm -hmm. of movements for climbers, although I still recommend doing bench pressing because it's just a great way to get your shoulders and chest and back strong. Yeah. Um, and, and then uh, some kind of pulling movement, um, so like a row or something like that, and then some kind of like hip hinge movement, like a deadlift, an RDL, or something like that. If you've listened to anything that I've said ever before, you're going to quickly be like, damn, it's the same advice. At least two days a week of a push-pull hinge carry or push-pull squat hinge carry, whatever it is. Like mm -hmm. same advice I gave in the Barbell Medicine podcast for runners, same advice that she's giving for climbers, same advice I'm going to give you if you're brand new to lifting. It's almost like it is like the most basic, simple thing you can do. So I'm going to hit that home because I don't think enough people, they want to overcomplicate it, but really that's it. And I love that you acknowledge that like using RPE and you can do it after training. Like you have to really think about like the priority of your goals. If your main goal is climbing, just like I tell people, if your main goal is running, then it doesn't matter if it's not your main priority, but you need to get it in somewhere. But that's where like auto-regulation or very basic, simple movement patterns can be helpful because it makes it a lot easier to do, to adhere to. You're not changing up your programming every week, so you're not crazy sore from novel things all the time. Like very simple approaches, but you, you know, if you've never done anything consistent before, then like you're gonna get one, you're gonna get strong real quick because neuromuscularly you're gonna adapt really quickly. But then two, over time, like it's actually gonna pay off a lot without too much more effort. Maybe, you know. 45 minutes twice a week more of effort, but you can always, you know, adjust and modify, even if it's 20, 30 minutes, like that's still, you can still do a decent amount in that time than none, than the zero that you were doing before. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So do you have all of your athletes typically work out? Is it an hour session or do you like, what's the, the shortest lifting session you you'll have them do? Um, it, it wouldn't take that long. Like if we're focusing on three movements, like say we're going to do a squat, uh, an overhead press and a row, like it shouldn't really take that long. Like it's going to take you like 45 minutes to get through that, you know, especially if you've got yeah. your warm ups dialed in, you know, you have a plan going into the session, you can just get right after it. Um, yeah. and you're not lagging in your session, which usually isn't a problem for climbers. I'm usually like set a timer and actually rest between your sets. Actually rest between your sets. <laughs> Most of my climbers don't want to rest. They do their set and then they like load the bar and they want to go right away again. I'm like, no rest. Like your body literally needs to do this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, no, I think that's great. And I used to do that when I was like really crunch for time training and lifting. And that's like the, the basic setup. I think I would do like one or two compounds and one or two accessories and then like maybe a core move and call it a day. But I would time it down to 45 minutes on the dock. That's all I had. And it works. Like you can still get a whole bunch done in that short period of time. And it's awesome. And um, obviously if you have more specific goals, like, yes, you'll need more, but I think that's fantastic. And I love that. I love that we all parallel each other by saying the same thing over and over <laughs> and over again. Um, so let's pivot a little bit and talk more about injury. Um, since I know, obviously that's something that you've personally experienced and struggled with, but then how do you approach that with climbers that you work with and the mindset around that and how like they tend to respond in your approach to it. I know we, we briefly addressed this before we start the podcast. A lot of people kind of do what you did where you're like, well, I can't do anything. And so I think that's a misconception all athletes or general people have when they're injured is all I can't do anything at all. And so can you speak about how you address this with climbers, the training and mindset around it and on, and like maybe more practical approaches to injury treatment than maybe the, the classic, well, I'm screwed response. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's ingrained in people because that's sort of like what what people believe. Like, it makes intuitive sense. You're injured. Don't use the thing. Don't use the body part that's injured. But that's not actually true. And like most of my climbing, my clients who come to me for rehab are shocked that I'm telling them to continue to climb and that we're finding ways to either train around the injury or we're actually stressing the injury. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't realize is that these injuries need stress. They need that stimulus in order to recover, especially if you're doing a sport and your injury is sport related. So the one that I always get is like finger injuries are very, very common in climbers. And that's something that I see like every single week. And most of my clients are surprised that like, we're going to have them do some hangboarding, which is um, if you guys don't know what hangboarding is, that's a way of strengthening your fingers for climbing. Basically it's a board, like either a wooden or plastic board that you can hang up like in a doorway or you can hang up like on anywhere and you can hang by your fingertips on it. And what, that sounds crazy to people who don't climb, but most climbers, even who are very new at climbing, can hang their body weight on like fingertip edges. That's a pretty easy thing for most climbers mm -hmm. to do. Um, and that's what I'm going to have them do for rehab. And we're going to find a way to grade their exposure back to the thing that they want to do. And the pitfall that comes with a lot of rehab is that um, a lot of it ends up being underdosed, especially for athletes. So you go to traditional rehab and you're given these exercises that might be great when you first get injured, but they're pretty quickly going to become underdosed because the thing that you're trying to be able to then do, like for climbers, is like you want to be able to hang on your finger or you want to be able to hang on your shoulder and produce a lot of force with your shoulder. And so if you have a shoulder injury, doing these really basic like banded exercises is pretty quickly going to become underdosed because if you think of what's happening to your shoulder or your fingers when you're climbing, they're undergoing like a lot of stress, a lot of force. And we need your rehab to match that, if not be higher than that, so that your shoulder, your finger, whatever is injured is prepared for that when you encounter that again in your sport. Um, and so I'm really trying to kind of find ways for people, for people where we can stress their injury at an appropriate level that they can tolerate and we can grade their exposure back into the sport as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. um, and I think a lot of people are surprised by that. They're like, wait, we're going to, we're going to train. Like a lot of rehab just looks like training because rehab is training. It's just training. That's from a different starting point. You know? Yeah. I mean, that's even for me growing up an athlete and having injuries and stuff. I mean, Honestly, I think working with Taylor a few years ago was like the best thing that ever happened to me because I'm evidence-based, but I think people think that doesn't mean I'm an expert. I'm not a rehab expert. You know what I mean? Like I was trusting other professionals and the response I even got was, well, you shouldn't be running ultras. And I was like, what? I'm like, that doesn't sound like a, a solution to my problems. Right. You know what I mean? Is just stop running. I was like, okay, well there's, I was like that. I mean, they did give me strengthening and stuff like that, but whenever I like you know, start working Rachel and connecting with other rehab professionals out there, or Rachel Taylor. Um, <laughs> and I don't know what I'm even, where I even got that. Um, but people like you and like other professionals in the field who are like working with clients and showing them this, I think it's revolutionary. Cause it's like, even to the point now where like, I joke where I'm like, whatever I get little flare up injury things. Cause when you train at a high intense volume, like stuff happens and it doesn't mean that your training is wrong. It doesn't mean it's bad. It's just kind of territory. I mean, you shouldn't be shattering a bone every single week, but you know, you'll have little like things that just come up. And sometimes like I'll, I'll overreact and I, I have the little Taylor in my head and she's like, keep training through it, modify it to, to tolerable volume, keep going. So instead of panic texting her every other week anymore, I'm just like, 
okay, Alyssa, you know exactly what you need to do. You know what I mean? Like modify to tolerable volume and like keep going. But that changed my view on training as an athlete because I used to just stop everything too as well. And I know that like, especially people where, you know, climbing can feel like it's so technical that you can feel like you can't do anything probably when you're injured. But I think for a lot of people, like that's the advice that like everyone needs, but they're not getting you know what I mean? Or they're getting reactions yeah. or telling them just to stop doing everything or, you know, doing right. different modalities that are maybe not as effective. But I love that. Cause I think that's something that a lot of people don't, they don't think about is that rehab is just training. It's just, mm-hmm. um, so since you work with climbers and you, you encompass both strength training and rehab, I love the blend climbing the sport, the strength training, the rehab. Um, do you find that when your clients or people you work with, do you start strength training that the, the, the incidence of those climbing injuries goes down um, due to that. Yeah. And I've had a lot of my clients say that they're like, wow, now that I've like gone through a rehab program with you, or now that I've gone through like a strength training program, I'm noticing that I'm not getting injured as frequently, or like if it does happen, I'm able to recover a little bit faster or I can just do more. Whereas before, if I did these things, I would start to slowly incur like an injury or an overuse injury or something. And that's just not happening anymore. Mm -hmm. That's something I noticed personally for myself through strength training, which was like one of the reasons why I love it because I just don't, that just doesn't happen to me anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, And my same thing with my clients. So yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty awesome in that way. Cause I love what you said, which I think blends us in perfectly. And that's why I wanted to ask you that is because you were like, well, you're just training yourself to handle a load greater than what you're going to have to endure in that moment. And I think that's like that. I think a lot of people don't think of strength training that way. Cause again, we only associate it with like muscle gain and being beefy and super strong, but also you're giving your tissues a tolerance that's higher than what you're exposing it to. Cause I think no runners do the same thing. Or if you're hiking a lot and stuff like that, I'm like, well, if you're training yourself to handle greater capacities in the gym that when you're exposed to that, when you're doing other things, well, you're strong and resilient enough and you're still below that threshold. So your body's not going to crumble under the same thing the next time it sees that. And I think a lot of people don't think of strength training as that, like is building that resilience and capacity mm-hmm. to do work that they couldn't do before because their literal tissue is stronger and more capable. So I really like that. I wanted to highlight that and I wanted to confirm my bias that my assumption, <laughs> the bias and assumption that your climbers were more resilient and less injury prone. Cause I see that all the time with everyone, you know, they just start properly strength training. And they're like, Oh, I'm hurt less often. I'm like, weird, funny, yeah. interesting. It turns out okay. your body can just handle more. The stronger you are, the more it, you can do. It's it crazy. turns out that it works weird how that works. No, but I love that. <laughs> and so I think that's really important. And I think like the idea that strength is just rehab and rehab is strength. And really you can think of strength training as just like prehab for life technically if you really want to like get really philosophical and longevity and break it down right (laughs) because we're just becoming more resilient which I think is really cool so okay so we're going to pivot a little bit but the last thing I wanted to talk about because I think this was you know really interesting and you brought this up um in your in your notes and everything like that but I can relate to this a lot and I think this is important is that you're a woman strength coach and a woman climber and a woman you know rehab specialist doctor of chiropractic um, how can you like speak to what it's like to be like, I mean, a woman in like the intersection of three male dominant fields and how that has, um, looked for you in, in your climbing and strength and professional career and like what you're doing in this space and like maybe how that's worked for you, but also maybe worked against you and like any advice you have for other, you know, younger women in that, in that niche and industry. Um, I know that like, I am kind of similar to that and 
the work where I'm coming from. And so I know that that's something that like when I was younger, that I wish that there was more women in your position talking about. So can you speak to that? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> you know, it's been, it's been great because I feel like a lot of, especially women feel more comfortable coming to somebody who's also a woman, mm-hmm. um, you know, especially somebody who understands their sport if we're talking about rehab um, and for strength training too, I think having women coaches, female coaches, um, femme coaches is important because, you know, people who are female or who identify as female or femme, like will resonate more with that person. Mm-hmm. The, the barrier for entry is going to be a little bit lower and they feel a little bit more comfortable with that person. And so, um, you know, for me personally, that's what I've noticed. Like, you know, I do tend to have like a higher ratio of like female clients. Um, mm-hmm. and I think it's just because I am female and it feels less intimidating for other females yeah. to, uh, to work with me. Um, and same thing with, with rehab too. I think it's, um, it's nice for my clients to have like a female to go to where they can feel a little less intimidated, um, and encouraged to do strength training, even as part of rehab. Um, but all, all three of those things are definitely like male dominated, Um, you know, climbing is starting to have a lot more females in it. And like, luckily, like, you know, as of recently, probably within just the last like year or two, uh, they're starting to become more women coaches for climbing and stuff like that, which is great. Um, But yeah, you know, coaching, strength, strength coaching, especially uh, rehab, climbing coaching, it's very male dominated. And I feel like Mm -hmm. as a female, the negatives of that are sort of like, um, you know, it almost feels like you have to be even better to like prove that like, you know what you're talking about. You know, it's like, you know, maybe it wouldn't fly if I wasn't Dr. Natasha Barnes, if I was just like a CPT or something. Like, would people no, I trust, trust me. Like I for those know. who can't see me, I'm shaking my head aggressively to this. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I know you mentioned this on your barbell medicine podcast. It's also, I feel like really strongly with what you said. I resonate strongly with what you said on that podcast. Cause I do feel like, we have to have our shit together more. Like my content needs to be like, you know, on point. It needs to be very clear. I need to have all of my references. I mm-hmm. also like, I feel like I need to be a high performer for people to trust me. Like mm-hmm. the fact that I'm a climber who was elite level, like people trust me more. Um, and if I was a male, um, like I know male climbing coaches who don't climb as hard as me, but people trust them more for some reason mm-hmm. um and same thing with strength training like if i wasn't a competitive power lifter if i didn't happen to lift more than most male <clears throat> climbers like i don't know if people would trust me that much it's uh, very so true I, and i hate that that's the truth and i'm going to highlight here ladies you do it too you put the same pressure on us it's not just the dudes like i'm going to note that here and put that out there because it's the same perception it's coming from everyone yeah, and I think it's important to realize these biases that we have, too. Like, just because a dude says it and he he's a dude and he, I don't know, maybe he seems more trustworthy. Like, I think it's good to, like, recognize those biases because a female might have more experience, might actually be a better person to go to for something like that. But for some reason, it just seems like, you know, oh, but is she an elite-level rock climber and also an elite-level powerlifter and also, like, has a designer working on all her content so it looks totally perfect because that's the only way yeah. it. No, it's, <laughs> it's – I feel like I could do a whole episode on this because it, the pressure is real and it makes it harder and the, sc- the scrutiny is so much higher than 
you know, some of these male coaches in the industry just can say whatever they want uncensored. And it's sometimes it's actually just completely ignorant and rude, but they, they're not quote unquote canceled for it or even called out or called in or just corrected. It just kind of is what it is. And it's unfortunate because then I feel like I know you and me have a tandem did all of our stuff and your post and your content is very well done. And like, like you have good content, but it's like, if our content wasn't this, the top notch, I think Claire mentioned this also on a podcast with Stan uh, done a while back when I first connected with Claire and it was like, yeah, our content has to, and I've mentioned this. It was like this big loop of like me saying it, Claire saying it, then me and then you here saying that like our content has to literally be so much better just for it to be yeah. on par. And that's unfortunate, but I think that at the end of the day, it means we're better, not better. Maybe we are sometimes better at what we do. You know what I mean? And it's unfortunate we have to do as much work, but I think that's at the end of the day, like that's what makes us really, really good at what we do though, is because we have checked every box possible in everything that we've done. But it is unfortunate because there's a lot of pressure. I'm sure you feel too. Like this year when I decided not to return for an ultra, I was like, well, that hurt my business. You know what I mean? Will people listen mm-hmm. to me and not trust me if I'm not training for an ultra, even though I have a very valid reason to not, you know what I mean? Like finishing your PhD is a completely valid reason to not train for extreme ultra endurance stuff. But will people perceive that the same way? You know what I mean? Or do I have to constantly be, you know, doing the next big thing to gain people's trust versus them just saying, okay, well, we trust her because she's knowledgeable. And so I think that's an important conversation that we need to have. Maybe when we have the Taylor, Claire, Natasha, Alyssa roundtable, <laughs> that's what yeah. we'll talk about. That's, that will be the topic of conversation. So, totally. <laughs> yeah. And I'm so grateful to have people like you and Claire and like, you know, there are more people who are like professionals who are scientists who are, you know, getting their doctorates who are like really good coaches out there um, and thankful for social media for connecting all of us. Um, And it does seem like more and more women are getting into the field who are awesome. And I'm really grateful for that, but it's just, yeah, it's just a funny thing that I've noticed and I know you've noticed it too. And I just feel like we should be aware of that. (laughs) And it's funny that all of us are noticing it and none of us are talking about it because if you talk about it then someone will get mad at you for talking about it, but it's a safe spot on the podcast. So awesome. Thank you so much um, for coming on and talking about all these things. Um, I'm hoping that some of my followers, and I know our climbers that are always asking you about stuff, um, will go and find you. So can you please tell us where they can find more about you, the services you offer, how they can work with you, all of that good stuff. Yeah, totally. Grateful for being on the podcast with you. And I'm excited that we got to have this conversation because I know our, our audiences do kind of overlap and a lot of the things that we talked about like apply to both climbers and runners. So it's uh, funny how that works, but it does. <laughs> yeah, hopefully people got a lot out of it. Um, but yeah, if people want to find me, um, they can find me on Instagram at Natasha Barnes. Um, I'm, I have a Facebook page, but I don't really use it. So don't try to contact me on there. I kind of hate Facebook. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the best place to find me is at Natasha Barnes on Instagram. You can also find me through my website, which is NatashaBarnesRehab.com. Awesome. Sweet. And I know that you launched some training programs for climbers this past year and stuff like that. So everybody go check that out. Um, I just think that's so awesome and such an important niche. And I think one that like, feel like so many people are being underserved in. So I think it's awesome that you're, you're filling that not only with expertise, but also like literally you are like integrating the rehab and the professionalism in it too. So that's super awesome. All right, everyone, make sure you go follow Natasha. I share her stuff on my page all the time, so I'm sure you've seen it before, but if you haven't, go check it out. Her content is fantastic. Even if you're just trying to learn about general strength training, honestly, she has a lot of really applicable information that might be beneficial to you. And if you guys like this episode, please 
tag us, share it to your story, listen to it, share it with your friends, your mom, your dad, your dog, whoever. Um, if you appreciate this podcast, leave a review, rate, subscribe, downloading helps a ton. And on that note, we will catch you guys next week. Until then, live well, demand better, and stay messy. Thank you so much.